Thank you, Father, that you want to be friends with us. And thank you that you want to communicate with us. And God, I ask that our weakness uh, would be recognized tonight so that your perfect strength can be grabbed a hold of wholeheartedly. Lord, take over in this place for your name's sake so that we just fall more deeply in love with you than we ever have before, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He didn't know how he would react in that moment, but he thought he did. He thought he had everything under control. He thought that he knew the way it was going to turn out. And as the lights began to come his direction, he mustered up every bit of courage that he had inside of him. He knew that he would not let his friend down. Have you ever had a friend before that you said, hey, I'm going to stand up for you no matter what. I'm not going to let you down. You can count on me. Others might turn and stab you in the back, but not me. I'm not going to do that. That's exactly what he thought he was going to do that night when the torch lights began to come, when the mob began to come. But he hadn't been listening to his friend Jesus. Look in John chapter 13 with me. John chapter 13, the end of the chapter, Jesus has just told him that, hey, I'm going away. I'm going to leave you. And Peter's not okay with that because Peter's become really good friends with Jesus. He's fallen in love with Jesus. He likes Jesus a whole lot. So in John chapter 13 and verse 37, it says this, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I just want to go with you, Jesus. I will lay down my life for your sake. In other gospels, it says that he actually said, hey, look, all these other men, they might lay down their, not lay down their life for you, but I will never deny you. Everybody else might, but not me. Jesus, I've got your back. Verse 38. Jesus answered and said to him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. To hear that from Jesus must have been so incredibly heartbreaking. And a lot of times, like I said, we often just read a chapter and we stop right there and we think, oh, that's the end of what, now let's go on about our business. But we need to keep reading and and see the whole flow of things. Because look at the very next thing that Jesus says. John chapter 14 and verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Who's he talking to here? He's talking to all the disciples, but especially he wants Peter to know something. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. What does he want him to do? Believe also in me. And in just a few verses, he'll say, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You, I and the Father are one. He says, you believe in God? You, you need to come to believe in me. So this beautiful un, uh, next few chapters are some of the most beautiful in all the Bible, 14 to 17. And then Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he, he takes Peter further in. He takes John further in. He takes Peter, James, and John further in. And he invites them to do something. He says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Amen. Matthew chapter 26, he comes back and he finds them. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, he comes and he finds them asleep. And this is what he says to them. And I think this is crucial. He it kind of gives us an idea of what he wanted Peter to do in order to believe. Matthew 26 and verse 41 says this, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. 
Notice this. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, now what is this talking about here? Just, just a side note, you know, the more that I've read this verse, the more that I began to think about it, it's not just talking about, hey, you have one side of you that's like okay with this and one side that's not okay with this. You, you sort of have good intentions, but it's not. The word here is the Spirit, which can be translated as re- referring to the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus is trying to tell him something here, like even though it's not capitalized in our English translation, he's saying, hey, the Holy Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What are you going to rely on, Peter? You're relying on yourself. And that's creating a problem. You know, what we tend to do is exactly like Peter. What did he do when the problem came his direction? When, when the mob came to him, what do you find Peter doing? He takes off, out his sword and he chops off his ear. Now, I need a volunteer to come up here and help me out here because this, is, this, this needs a demonstration. Anybody want to come help me out? you come help me out? Yeah, I think you look good at If you don't mind getting your, your ear chopped off, you look like you're pretty quick. So I think this would be good. All right? So, so there's a mob coming, and Peter's like, hey, I'm going to defend Jesus. I'm going to do whatever it takes. He takes his sword out, and he chops off it. How do you chop off an ear? Have you ever thought about that before? How do you chop off an ear without chopping off a shoulder, without doing a whole lot of other damage? Any ideas how you do that? Yeah, keep in mind he's a fisherman. He doesn't know what to do with the sword. Maybe that's it. Here's the thing. What would you do, pretend I have a sword in my hand, if I came at you with a sword and I come across you like this? What would you do? I, do it for real. Like, I'm coming at you with a sword. I hope you do more than that. I hope you would like totally. Let, let's try. <laughs> yeah, oh no. <laughs> All right. Don't do that to me, please. <laughs> All right. I don't really have a sword. In order to cut off his ear, can you go like this? All right. If you go like this, can you see how you can cut off somebody's ear? Thank you. I appreciate that. That was big, big help, right? So he's not just going to cut off an ear, he's going to take a head off. He's trying to take this guy's head off. He is saying, I'm all out in for you, Jesus. I'm going to battle. I'm going to cut this guy's head off in order to defend you, Jesus. And the problem is, he's fighting the battle where the battle isn't. And I fight the battle all the time where the battle isn't. And more and more I'm realizing that the battle is where Jesus said, he says, watch and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. The, the battle is to stay connected with our friend, Jesus. Watch Jesus in the Word. Talk to Jesus. Stay connected to Him. That's where the battle lies. But so often, I'm focused on the problems, and I'm not very good at handling them. In fact, that's still true as a pastor. And I'm a little bit embarrassed to tell you this story, but just so you can know that it's real for a pastor too. <laughs> I had twin girls this year, and, and these twin girls have changed my life in incredible ways, and they've also stretched us and grown us in incredible ways. Now, those first few months, for those of you that are parents, you know what it's like to have children, and if any of you have had twins before, wow, 
it, you know, it, it is a, a stretch. And so we were stretched, you know, nights we were awake and days we were awake and we had grandparents there helping us and we're all just on edge. And so I remember when it was a few months into this, when some p- problems began piling up, some people said things or did things it, through the church community, not necessarily in the church, but there, different things happened. And, I remember that moment when one more thing happened, and you know what it's like when things are building up and building up, and you're trying to handle it yourself. You're trying to figure out, it's, it's all about what you can handle. And suddenly I realized something. I was getting really angry. And I've had an anger problem in my life. And so, um, I said, I need to pray. <laughs> and so I went to the closet to pray. But before I went to pray, before I went to connect with Jesus, I just had to do one more thing, and that was to slam my fist in the ground because I was so incredibly angry. Nobody knows. I'm just there in the closet. I'm going to pray. Except for the fact that suddenly my fist started hurting incredibly. And I realized something. I had just broken my hand on the floor. And now I had an issue. I was feeding twins and I was carrying twins for six weeks. I'm in a cast. All because of a moment where I let my anger get the best of me rather than connecting with Jesus. On my way to connect with Jesus, but just got to do something else on the way there. And creates a whole lot of problems. I'm sick of that in my life. I want to just focus on Jesus. I want to let Him carry me. I want to let him handle my issues. I want to realize that my strength is made per- that my weakness is made his strength is made perfect in my weakness. That his grace is sufficient for me. And I want to rely on that every moment of my life and stop thinking that I'm strong enough to handle the problems that come into my life. So what I find so beautiful is that, that what Jesus does in order to encourage Peter is the opposite of what we do to people. So here's the thing, and hopefully this doesn't happen in this church, but a lot of times what we do is we tell people about the second coming in order to scare people into following Jesus. Have you ever seen that done before? Jesus is coming back. You better get your life ready. Look at what Jesus does. Jesus says, You're going to fail me, and I've got good news. The second coming. You will fail, you will fall, and there's good news. I'm coming back for you. You are going to be a failure. You will deny me, and I'm coming back for you. Look at how Jesus does this. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't don't let yourself be troubled. And that's what he so often did when referring to the second coming, the signs of the times, Matthew 24, if you think about it. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places, really it says. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Okay, now, now here's a, a beautiful thing that we don't have time to unpack in detail, but What a a Hebrew boy would do when he wanted to get married to a Hebrew girl is he would go to her and there would be a betrothal that would take place. They would do something where they would exchange, they would drink grape juice to seal the deal. And kind of similar to maybe what we do, what Jesus did with his disciples in the, the upper room just prior to this. 
And then he would tell his future bride-to-be something. He would say, okay, I'm going back to my father's house. And I'm going to build on to my father's house a place for you. And then I'm coming back, and I'm going to get you, and I'm going to bring you back to live with me at my father's house. Okay, so Jesus is framing the second coming as a marriage proposal in the context of Peter going to deny him. Right? So he says, In my father's house are many mansions using this groom language. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, Peter, the one who's about to deny me. And then he says, And where? Uh, and if I go and... Pre- oh, oh, sorry. There's a story. That, that helped to, to, to remind me. Okay, before we get into that. So, my in-laws, uh, actually my... my um, my sister-in-law asked for some help. They were working, they moved into a fixer-upper house in uh, Prunedale, down near Salinas. And they, they needed some help one Sunday. They said, hey, you come up and you help us out because we need some help. I walked into the house, and this is what I see. Eric's there in the living room. He's pulling up tiles, and the, the place is just totally in shambles. I'm like, wow, you guys just bought this house? <laughs> it looks like, you know, wow, that's a lot of work. Okay first time I've seen the house. Uh, the bathrooms aren't hooked up. You, they're like, yeah, if you, if you need to use the bathroom, you could go use this one bathroom. You know, nothing's ready in the house. So I go in, okay, what can I do to help? And they had me do a few different projects. But, but then my sister-in-law kept telling me to do something strange. She kept telling me to go up to this bedroom, which uh, this bedroom used to look like this, but at this point, this bedroom looks pretty good to me. And she tells me to keep going up to this bedroom. It's the one place in the house that already looks okay to me. But she's like, okay, can you hang this, this lantern, or not lantern, chandelier in here, right? I'm like, a chandelier? There's bathrooms in this house that do not work. And you want me to hang a chandelier in this room? Okay, I'll do it, but okay. So I'm hanging this chandelier, and then something after that, she says, okay, can you put these pictures on the wall in this room? Pictures on the wall? Your bathrooms still don't work in this house. Why are you so concerned about this room? And then she had me do something. She says, okay, now I have these letters, and I want you to put these letters up on the wall. So I'm hanging these letters, E-L-S-I-E-L-C-E. You see... This was, this is what the room looked like. That's the chandelier that I, I hung there. I had, had carpets there, a crib there. You see, it was months away, but my sister-in-law was expecting her first baby, Elsie. It didn't matter that the toilets weren't hooked up. It didn't matter that some of the rooms in the house weren't ready. She was preparing a place for Elsie. I was like... You haven't even met Elsie yet. How do you know you're going to love Elsie? How do you know that you're going to even like Elsie? Why are you going to all this work for this room? You're trying to make it so extravagant for her. I mean, this is a picture of the other side of the room. It was so nice. How did she know that this little girl was going to be loved? We, I remember when we came home from the hospital after Elsie was born, Leah and I went to take a nap because she was born in the middle of the night, and we walked into the house and they had washed all the dishes. All the beds were made. There was a little bassinet by the bed in their room. Like everything was perfectly ready for Elsie to come into. 
Elsie had not done one good thing for them. Elsie had not earned them any money. Elsie had not been contributing to the family. But Elsie had a place to come to that was perfect and beautiful. And Jesus says this. Uh, Well, first of all, let's look at this. From Bible Commentary, uh, Volume 5, page 1139, it says this. Humility is an active principle growing out of a thorough consciousness of God's great love. Tonight I want to talk to you about humility. We need a greater humility in order to deepen our relationship with Jesus. And yet that humility is birthed out of recognizing the fact that we are fully known and fully loved. That the God of the universe has chosen you. That He has gone to prepare a place for you. Because He wants to be friends and He wants to live with you forever. So Jesus goes on in 14 verse 3. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you. Now, he's talking to Peter. He's just told him he's going to deny him. And he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. We're going to be together. I'm coming back for you, Peter. I'm coming back for you. The one that's about to deny me. If only Peter had been really listening and recognizing the goodness of what Jesus was trying to reveal to him. If only he'd gotten excited about how good Jesus really is. He would have realized that what he needed to do was to watch and pray, to rely on his friend Jesus, rather than to go out swinging with his sword, doing everything that he could to fight the battle in his own strength, rather than in the strength that Jesus could get him. Now, let's look at this. Uh, looking at First uh, Thessalonians, looking at the... Uh, promise that Jesus has given us specifically when we're thinking about his second coming. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse 23 says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Who's the active one in this verse? Okay. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Who's doing the action in this? Is it us? The person being addressed, it's God Himself. It emphasizes that. May He sanctify you completely. So He wants to do a work of making us perfectly like Him. Perfectly loving, just like Jesus. He's going to do that work, is what He says. Which is an amazing thing. You can say, hey, I'm destined to be a loving person. You may not see that in me today, but that's where Jesus has destined me for. It goes on to say in verse, the rest of the verse continues and says this, And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is is what God wants to do in you as He's coming back for His bride. He wants to make you a perfect, beautiful, loving bride as a church for Him. And sometimes we focus on that and we're like, oh man, that's intense. How... Do you know who I am? Do you know the mistakes in my life? Do you know how much I deny Jesus? But look at what it continues to say in verse 24. It emphasizes again who's the active one. It says, He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Who is the one that does the work? Jesus. From beginning to end, He's the Alpha and He's the Omega. He is everything to you. And until we get that, we're going to be stuck. In the same place. Jesus is everything to us. Friendship with Him is all that we need. 
Our business is to connect with Jesus. It's not to try to get through some checklists in our lives. It's to connect with Jesus and allow Him to do a work in us that will change absolutely everything. How we cooperate with Him. We let Him do this work. But it's not us doing the work. It's only through friendship with Jesus. So, some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, that's a long ways from where I'm at. I'm not... Faithful, and so why would God be faithful to me? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13. If we are faithless, how does God respond? If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. It's based on who He is, not on who you are. That's what it's based on the cross of Jesus Christ and the fact that He loves you more than He loves Himself. He remains faithful even if you are faithless and He will finish the good work that He's begun in you if you don't resist Him. If you say, hey, I want to be friends. Keep waking me up in the morning. Keep, I, I just want to take that time with you, Jesus. I want to get to know you as a friend. He does it all. That is the message of what Jesus has for us. So in Luke chapter 21 and verse 36, He says for us to do the same thing that Peter was called to do. It says, watch therefore. What do we watch? Jesus. We tend to watch, you know, like, okay, what are the, the signs of the times? What are, and, and we should be aware of these things. But we need to watch Jesus. In fact, I didn't put this one in here, but I, I can't resist reading it to you. All right, this is from Signs of the Times, March 17, 1887. It says this, The shortness of time is frequently urged as an incentive for seeking righteousness and making Christ our friend. Hey, time's short. The Pope did this. This is happening in the the economy. This is happening. You better get ready because Jesus is coming soon. You better become friends with Him. And we should recognize that He's coming soon. But it says this, This should not be the great motive with us, for it savors of selfishness. If I'm just about trying to save my own skin, I'm not falling in love with Jesus, and that's the only thing that will see me through. This should, uh, it is, is it necessary that the terrors of the day of God should be held before us that we might be compelled to right action through fear? It ought not to be so. I love this. This is the best part. Jesus is attractive. <laughs> That's good news. Jesus is attractive. I love it. He is full of mercy and love and compassion. He proposes to, he proposes to be our friend. To walk with us through all the rough pathways of life. He wants to be your friend. That is the message that we've got to share with everybody. You've got a friend named Jesus. And that's the good news. That is everything to us. Okay, so watch Jesus, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape these things which will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. It's through watching and it's through recognizing that as we see that love, we need His help. That's what prayer is all about. It's opening the heart to God as to a friend. Saying, hey God, I need you. I need some help here throughout the day. Hey, I'm facing this exam. I'm facing this job situation. My boss is putting this pressure on me. My neighbor is driving me crazy. Whatever it is, Jesus, I'm opening my heart to you because you're my friend. And we're having a conversation here. And I want for you to lead me through all of this. So, 
Peter, you remember, he, he, he said, look, even if all these other guys deny you, I won't. The disciples, that, this kind of goes back to what they constantly argued about. They were constantly arguing about who is the greatest among us. Right? Which one of us is the greatest? Well, one of these times, Matthew chapter 18, and this happens multiple times, I just didn't get it. Sometimes they're, they would like walk behind Jesus because they didn't want him to overhear what they're talking about. And they're talking about, okay, so which of us is going to be like the head honcho once Jesus becomes Messiah and destroys all the Romans and all this happens? Which of us is going to be most important? So in Matthew chapter 18, uh, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1, it says this. I'll give you time to turn there if you'd like to follow along in your own Bible. We'll also have it up on the screen. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1, it says, At this time the disciples came to Jesus saying, so finally they muster up the courage. Okay, let's actually ask Jesus. Rather than always whispering about this behind closed doors, let's just ask Jesus the question. Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right? So verse 2. Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them. I love this. So, so he's like, okay. He doesn't even answer, but he gives them an illustration, as Jesus so often did. He said, okay, I'm going to call this child and I'm going to have this child stand right here in the middle of you guys. And then, what I, what I really like to see is to compare what happens in another gospel, because Matthew doesn't give us all the details. But if you look over in Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9 and verse 36, it tells us what he does with that child. Okay? He's, he's wanting to demonstrate them how you become great in the kingdom of heaven. And look at what he does. He says, Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them, and when he had, what does it say? Taken him in his arms. Okay, so where's the location of this child? Jesus is holding this child. Jesus is taking him up. He's holding him in his arms. And as he's holding this child in his arms, he goes on to say this, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted... This is really what we're talking about. Through seeing Jesus, accepting Jesus, we're changed from, from who we naturally are. Conversion. Unless you are converted and become as a little child, as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? So he says, unless you humble yourself like this child that I'm holding in my arms, unless you're willing to be held by me, you got no chance at getting to heaven. And then he goes on to say, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child, this one that I'm holding in my arms, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Desire of Ages, recounting this, says this, Calling a little child to him, Jesus set him in the midst of them, then tenderly folding the little one in his arms. Can you picture it? He picks him up tenderly. He's holding this child in his arms. And that's what he wants you to get. Amen. He wants to tenderly hold you every day of your life in His arms. And unless you're willing for that, you can't come into the kingdom of heaven. But if you want a friend that will hold you and carry you through life, welcome in. Welcome in. And He said, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. The simplicity, the self-forgetfulness, the confiding love of a little child are the attributes that heaven values. These are the characteristics of real greatness. 
All right, so I need somebody with a, a, a grandchild or, or a child, uh, say, under the age of or five or under, that, that could come up and help me out real fast. Answer a couple of questions for me. Anybody? Well, I'll faster see you. You have grandkids, right? <laughs> okay, so let's say one of your, your grandchildren, uh, he, are they, the boys or girls? Uh, one girl and one boy. One girl and one boy. Okay. What, how, how old are your grandkids? The girl is two and the boy is uh, one. Two and one. Okay. So you're a two-year-old, yeah. right? She, is she eating food yet? Yeah. Okay. So, so in the morning, what does she like to have for, for breakfast? Uh, oatmeal. Oatmeal. Cereal, okay. Yeah. So does she know how much oatmeal costs? Like if you were to ask her how much are oats? <laughs> no. No? She has no idea? Oh, man. Okay. Well, what does she like to have for lunch? Uh, I think the parents give her like fruits, little fruits. Little, little fruits. Yogurt stuff. snacks. Okay. Does she know how to get to the grocery store so she can make sure she gets the fruit? And... Not yet. Not yet. Oh, man. Okay. So, what kind of... Uh, do they have car payments on the car that they drive? Or, or house payments on the house that they... They're not paying rent yet. Do they, they don't have to pay rent? Oh, okay, okay. So, do you have a house payment? <laughs> okay, okay. So... Does she know anything about that house payment? Does she contribute to it? Does she have? Does she even have a conception of what it's like? Yeah. Okay. Okay. You can you can sit down. Thank you. So, children, don't worry about the stuff that you worry about. Come on now. Your life is burdened because you're worrying about a lot of things that adults worry about. Come on. And Jesus says, "I want you to become like a child." that I hold, that I carry through absolutely everything, through the house payment, through the car payment, through the job, through school. I want to carry you. You can't be loving to that family member who annoys you. I want to carry you through that too. I want to carry you. And until we have that self-forgetfulness, that simplicity, that confiding love of a little child... We're not really great in the eyes of heaven. But when we look to Jesus like a friend who's willing to see us through absolutely everything, then we are truly great in the eyes of heaven. So this is uh, my father-in-law, Daryl. And this is Elsie. Now notice, what does his t-shirt say? I'm not retired. (laughs) I'm not retired. I'm a professional papa. So something crazy happened, okay? Not only did these people focus on making this bedroom really nice in their home, but my in-laws retired early because this baby's on the way. They retire early. Not only do they retire early, they lived in Bakersfield. They live up in Prunedale. They sold their house. They've lived in Bakersfield for years, settled in that community. They sold their house. They moved to Prunedale because they wanted to be close to Elsie so that Elsie could be held by her papa. Elsie could be held by her Grammy. She didn't have to go to daycare and be held by by some other person that was being paid to hold her. They said, we're going to be there to hold her. I learned a lot uh, from from that papa. In fact, his arms are getting fuller. There's my... (laughs) Elsie had a little brother that was five weeks older, is five weeks older than my two little twins, and now he's holding all four of them. Grammy likes to hold them all too. 
Uh, there's Grammy holding the... They're all getting a bit older now. I remember when I got my twins home from the hospital. To hold them was pure bliss to me. I just love to hold them. In fact, sometimes I would fall asleep holding them. And, and we began to learn that before we got them in this whole routine where they could sleep through the night after a few months, that one of the easiest things was to just put, in, put them on Dad... And I'll just sleep, and they'll sleep on me, and we'll just spend the night sleeping together. It was one of, some of the best nights of my life, holding my little girls. But you know, it gets even better as they get older. Because at this point, you know, they have no choice about being held. But the older they get, the other night... Abby came over, she just looks at me, and then she like walks over to me, and then she backs up to me, and she like just wants to be enfolded in my arms. And then she turns around and she begins to hug me. And I mean, she's one-year-old. She's not not really fully engaging in hugs very much. And so it was just like, I am fully melted right now. What do you, anything. You can have anything. (laughs) That's what Jesus wants to be to you. He wants to hold you every day of your life. Just yesterday, we went out to walk the Bay Trail with the little girls, and, and there's these ergos that we put them in, and whenever they see these ergos, they just start kicking and squealing because they cannot wait to be held while we walk. Sometimes we put them in a stroller, they're okay with that. But to be held, that's really where it's at. Jesus wants for you and I to get to that place that we just are squealing with joy, hoping that He's going to hold us. And knowing that He wants to carry us through every circumstance in our life. Daughters of God, page 221 says this, Just repose in Jesus. Rest in Him as a tired child rests in the arms of his mother. Can you do that? Can you rest in Jesus? The Lord pities you. This is good news. You have failures, you have problems, you have issues. God pities you. The Lord pities you. He loves you. Only believe Him. Only trust Him. Rest in the arms of Jesus. So check this out. 1 Peter chapter 5. If you have a Bible, I invite you to go there just because this is an incredible verse that had challenged me for a long time. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. It says, uh, this 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Why isn't my Bible saying this? Oh, that's why. Okay, I'm sorry. There we are. We're in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 now. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Now, I've often thought about this like, hey, okay, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to become just... Uh, how do I humble myself? How do I stop being selfish? How do I change this inner person? How do I... Get rid of the pride in me. Pride is blind and it, it, it stops me from seeing Jesus. It creates all these problems. And what do I do in order to get rid of this issue that's so deeply rooted in me that, that started the whole great controversy in the first place? How do I get rid of the pride that's rooted in here? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. This verse, it just sounded like a painful verse to me for a long time. And that's because I read just the verse rather than finishing the sentence. Right? It says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. 
And how do we do that? You got to keep reading sometimes in the Bible. Verse 7. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Can you do that? Can you give your cares to Jesus? Or do you want to hang on to them for yourself? The Gospel is that He wants to take them for you. He wants to be your burden bearer. He wants to carry you through this life. Casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Steps to Christ, page 85 to 86. And if I haven't convinced you yet, please, you've got to pick this book up and read it. It's, it's incredible. If you haven't read it before, or if you have read it before, you just got to keep reading it and rereading it. But it says this, God cares for everything and sustains everything that He has created. And it, she goes on to talk about the stars that, that He orders in their courses and all of the animals and all of creation. Then it says, each is tenderly watched by the Heavenly Father. That's the message that Jesus kept giving. He said, hey, the sparrow is cared about, but I number the hairs on your head, or my Father numbers the hairs on your head, so don't be afraid. You're of more value than many sparrows. How many of you counted the hairs on your head this morning? Okay, so God cares more about you and your issues than you do. That's what He wants you to understand. Because you're not as care, careful about the details of your life as He is. But sometimes we think, man, oh, I just don't think God's got my back here. I just don't know if He's going to carry me through here. And that is exactly what Satan wants us to believe. But He has a tender watch care over each of us. No tears are shed that God does not notice. Have you ever cried and felt alone before? There is no smile that He does not mark. Every time you smile... God is watching. If we would but fully believe this, all undue anxieties would be dismissed. And I'll admit, I am not there. Preparing sermons this week, I'm like, oh man, I'm so stressed about this. What do I share? Is this the right thing? Is this not the right thing? And suddenly I'm preparing this one today. I'm like, oh man, God, you have this. (laughs) I need to trust you and not have all these undue anxieties in my life. Our lives would not be so filled with disappointment as now. We should then enjoy a rest of soul to which many have long been strangers. If only we trusted in Jesus, the promise-keeping God to carry us through. Humility, we read earlier, is an active principle growing out of a thorough consciousness of God's great love for us. It's when we recognize His love, we know that He wants to care about the details of our life, that we are able to humbly walk with Him, putting our hand in His. We're able, and this this impacts the three legs of the stool that we've talked about, right? There's prayer, there's reading your Bible, and there's sharing and serving. The three like tangible things in our walk with Jesus, the way that we connect in that friendship with Jesus, on which everything is founded. So, recognizing His love is what enables us to open our heart to Him as a friend. We can't humble ourselves and pray until we recognize the love that He has for us. And as we experience that, it empowers our prayer because we have such incredible confidence that He's going to follow through and answer and do what He's called us to do. If we don't recognize the incredible love that He has for us, When we open the Bible, 
we're going to come at it with criticism. We're going to come at it just questioning it. But when we recognize, hey, this is a love letter from our very best friend and he wants to help me out here. These are promises to me. Every command even is a promise of what he wants to do in my life. And I, I begin to read it, not, not trying to, to parse it, but trying to say, hey, Jesus, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to do in my life? Amen. And when we have a thorough consciousness of his love for us, we naturally begin to love people around us to serve and to share because we're like, hey, I've been loved by that. I've got to pass this on. In fact, psychology has actually tested this out. They found that if you see somebody do an altruistic action, there's an emotion which they have termed elevation that takes place in you. And they went and they tested it. They had two test groups. One test group watched, actually three test groups. One watched uh, a comedy. One watched a nature program. And then the other one watched uh, somebody serving and giving. And then afterwards, they did some tests to see which ones were more willing to serve. And those who had watched people who loved and served were elevated in their ability to love and serve. So it happens naturally, but what we need even more than that is to be converted, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, to have a thorough consciousness of Jesus' love for us because it changes everything. Then the rest of that goes on to exactly explain that. It says, a thorough consciousness of God's great love and will always show itself by the way in which it works. Ministry of Healing, page 182. By prayer, by the study of His Word, by faith in His abiding presence, the weakest of human beings may live in contact with the living Christ. And he will hold them by a hand that will never let go. You read throughout the Bible and it says it's the foolish things that will put to shame the wise. That it's the weak things that put to shame the strong. The gospel is not about those with the most self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit if you look in Galatians chapter 5. And this is challenging to me. Because naturally I like to be able to discipline myself to have a lot of self-control. But it's not about who of us can be the strongest in our walk with doing all the right things. The weakest can connect with Jesus. And in fact, those who recognize their weakness, unlike Peter, are the ones who actually connect the most with Jesus, who open their hearts the most to Him because they recognize that they need a Savior. Those of us that feel like we've got it together... We're in the most amount of danger. Sometimes the most dangerous place to be is in the church. You look at Jesus. When He did His ministry, how often was it the Pharisees, the scribes who rejected Him, while the prostitutes, harlots, and sinners were willing to come to Him? Have mercy on me. A pastor, right? I better recognize every day, I need you, Jesus. Every morning, I need to wake up and say, I need Jesus. One more. This day with God, page 9, it says this. A new year has opened upon us. Let it be a happy new year. Nestle in the sheltering arms of Jesus. And do not wrestle yourself out of His arms. Will you let Him hold you? Will you let Him carry you through? What does this look like? Quick story. uh, Back a few years back, our, our little elementary school was needing teachers. Two teachers. We're a two-teacher school. And we're really challenged by this. We're searching around and we tried to start early. I said, I'm going to reference every place. We're going to find the best teachers possible. We had come out of a really challenging situation. And we kept coming up empty. I mean, I was talking to people all over the United States saying, there's got to be a teacher out there. And we weren't finding anybody. 
And then finally we started to find somebody and it was around camp meeting time and it took us a while to reference him. But then finally we said, okay, let's go with this one. And so we told the conference, hey, we want these, these teachers. It was a teacher couple. And then they sent back, well, you took too long. And by the way, they're also like frustrated with the way that you went about this. And so they're not coming to where you're at. In fact, they've already accepted a call into uh, another part of, of California, up in the corner of California. So I remember we're getting down to just a couple weeks before school starts. We're promising these 15 kids, you've got a place to come to school, that this is going to be provided for you, this is going to work out for you. But it's getting pretty hard to trust Jesus in that time. You know, sometimes we get stretched and we get to say, okay, how is this really going to work out? And I remember just pleading with Jesus, like, you've got to give me some encouragement. You've got to show me something. And I remember I was reading in Isaiah chapter 30. And as I read in Isaiah chapter 30, I got to verse 21. Actually, verse 20. It it spoke exactly to what I was going through. And, And this is why it's so crucial to just take time listening to Jesus, listening to the Bible. It says, and though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. I'm like, yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> Aversity, affliction, yeah, all of that, Jesus. That's what I'm going through right now. Yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore. I was like, okay, let me pick my job off the floor right now. My teachers, these teachers, I didn't even comprehend before. I didn't even think about this verse before, but here it is speaking particularly to my situation, there's these two teachers are now going to be in a corner of California rather than moving to our school. And this verse is telling me your teachers aren't going to be moved into a corner anymore. All right? But your eyes will see your teachers. Your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. I remember the school board chair and I, we were just like, hey, we got to keep praying. And we just felt convicted, hey, these are the right people, and we're going to be praying about this. And we got more discouraging news that this is, just isn't going to happen. And day by day went by, and we kept, I kept clinging to this promise. I said, God, you told me these teachers are coming back. But they had already accepted another job. We were told that they had already signed the papers, that they were already moving there. It's two weeks to go. And suddenly we get a call. Guess what? Uh, they decided what they really want is to come to Templeton. They're going to move and they're going to, to teach at your school. Amen. The promises of God are faithful. He is a promise-keeping, covenant God. That's what the Bible is all about from beginning to end. It's about a promise made and a promise kept in Jesus for you. And He's prepared a place for you and He wants to carry you there. And if you won't wrestle yourself out of his arms, he will carry you all the way through. Faithful is he who called you, who also will do it. I've prepared a place for you. I'm coming to get you. And I will carry you there if you'll only let me. So Rick was going to be born. And his parents, his dad's name is Dick, found out that he was going to have that as he was born. They, they, the doctors recognized that there was an issue. His umbilical cord had been wrapped around his neck for too long while he was in the womb, and he had cerebral palsy. It meant his muscles didn't react properly. They told him, "You know what? There's no hope for little Ricky. You just need to put him in an institution. You just—it's going to be too much work for your family. Just put him in somewhere they can care for him." 
But they had a little bit of hope his eyes would track when they would move their fingers. And they, they said, no, we're bringing Ricky home. They brought Ricky home and they said, we just want to somehow give him somewhat of a normal life. And pretty soon they found a doctor who told them, that's exactly what you need to do. You need to treat Ricky like he's a normal child. Give him a normal upbringing. Give him all the normal stuff. And, and you're going to have to do a lot of work to do that. She would teach him the ABCs by using sandpaper in order to, to, to sign things to him and all kinds of amazing things. They would try to give him a normal life, give him Christmas presents. And then one day, something happened. He heard about a race that was going to be run for a uh, lacrosse player who had been paralyzed. And he wanted that lacrosse player. He's 15 years old at this time. He's finally going to a public school because of the computer that they'd been able to give him. He hears that this lacrosse player has been paralyzed and there's a race to raise money for him. And he's like, I want for this guy to know that there's hope after having a disability like that. And so he says, Dad, can we run in this race? His dad was like, uh, I forget how old he was. He was in his maybe 40s at that point. He's like, okay, we can do that. You can see how exhausted he looks running with him, but he's pushing him, running as fast as he can. But do you see the look? On Rick's face. And Rick told him something afterwards. He typed it out slowly on that little computer that he was barely able to use. And he said, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like I'm not disabled. When I'm running, he's being pushed in a wheelchair. Does he not realize he's not running? I mean, did somebody walk up to this kid and tell him that you're not doing it? But you know what his dad did? Rick kept going to school and his dad would put cement bags into a wheelchair, the wheelchair that you see there, and he would run day after day until he got stronger and stronger and stronger. And he just kept on running with Rick. And they ran and they ran and they ran and they ran. And you might have heard of Team Hoyt before, but here's some of their statistics. It's pretty astounding. As of March 2016, the Hoyts had completed, competed in 1130 endurance events, including 72 marathons. How many of you have ever run a marathon before? All right, 26.2 miles. Okay, 72 marathons, six Ironman triathlons. Okay, so an Ironman triathlon, I just have to read this for you really fast, is one of a series of long-distance triathlon races that consists of a 2.4-mile swim, and then you go and you get on a bike, and you bike 112 miles. And the bike-a-thon, I remember biking over 100 miles, and I was dead afterwards. Okay, so first you swim two and a half miles, a really long swim. Then you bike 112 miles, and then you run a marathon of 26.2 miles at the end of all of that. And they have done six Ironman triathlons. They qualified and ran in the Boston Marathon, which is this really high marathon that's really hard. Everybody wants to qualify for it 32 times. They also biked across the United States, uh, completing a full 3,735 miles in 45 days. And through it all, a dad is pushing his son and carrying his son. And so I wanted to show you this video tonight. And as it runs, I just want you to think about the fact that you're faithful as he who called you, who also will do it. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that while we were still without strength, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
If you feel ungodly tonight, there's good news. Because Jesus, the one with strength, is wanting to run you all the way into the kingdom. Do you think you can run the race with endurance? (laughs) Someday, we're going to get there to heaven. We're going to be pumping our arms. (laughs) Realizing that it's Jesus that carried us the whole way there. It's not about what you can do. It's about who Jesus is and wants to be for you. Tonight, um, before we hear the beautiful song, the Lord's Prayer, to close, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Um, Christ's Optic Lessons, page 159. Now, yeah, but no man can empty himself of self. That's not something we can do. We've got to recognize His love. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. If only we'll allow Him to do it. Then the language of the soul will be. And I just want, I just want you to bow your head. Well, actually, don't do it. Just, just keep your eyes open so you can do this. But actually pray this prayer to Jesus tonight. Would you pray it with me? Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. Just, just take a moment with Jesus and just tell Him, Lord, would you take my heart? I can't even give it. It is your property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for you. Just confess to Jesus tonight that you need Him to keep your heart. That you're not able to keep your own heart. Then pray this. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of your love can flow through my soul. Father, this is only a value. This is not just a prayer that we pray tonight and we're not just inspired this week, but if every morning we wake up and we remember that Your mercies are new every morning. And every night we go to sleep saying, hey God, here's the things that went on this day and we're opening our heart to You as a friend more and more and more each and every day. Lord, we want a revival that doesn't last for a week, but that goes on every single day for the rest of our lives until you come back as you've promised, that you have gone to prepare the place, that all the, the work is done by Jesus, and you're coming back to get us. If only we're willing to be friends with you. If only we're willing to know Jesus for ourselves. Lord, please help us to open our hearts. Help us to walk with you as our friend and to allow you to carry us the whole way through. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.